uh, the scripture today is from the 13th chapter of Matthew. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, you can do so on page 6 of the bulletin. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. La lectura de esta mañana es el, el, el capítulo 13 de Mateo. Se encuentra en la página 7. Jesús les contó otra parábola. El reino de los cielos es semejante a un grano de mostaza que un hombre sembró en, en su campo. Sin duda, esta es la más pequeña de todas las semillas pero cuando crece es la más grande de las plantas, se hace árbol y hasta las aves del cielo vienen y hacen nidos en sus ramas. Jesús les contó otra parábola, el reino de los cielos es semejante a la levadura de una mujer que una mujer tomó y mezcló con tres medidas de harina hasta que toda la harina fermentó. De todo esto habló Jesús con la gente por parábolas y no les hablaba de otra manera para que se cumpliera lo dicho por el profeta, abriré mi boca y en parábolas hablaré de cosas escondidas desde la fundación del mundo. Además, el reino de los cielos es semejante a un tesoro escondido en un campo. Cuando alguien encuentra el tesoro, lo esconde de nuevo y muy feliz va y vende todo lo que tiene y compra ese campo. También el reino de los cielos es semejante a un comerciante que busca buenas perlas y que cuando encuentra una perla preciosa, va y vende todo lo que tiene y compra la perla. It's triple duty, Oscar, right? We're talking about spiritual gifts the past couple of weeks. Uh, Oscar is our uh, gifted C-3PO, a man of many languages, um, at least two, right? Well, we, we just kicked off a year-long church-wide initiative, as you heard Yancey mention, and I spoke about as well, uh, an initiative called One Body, Many Parts, and we just wrapped up a three-week uh, little mini-sermon series on that theme. And if you missed any part of it, then I want to encourage you uh, to listen to the sermons online, especially if you are a formal member of the per church, so that we can all be on the same page. What does it mean to be in every member ministry uh, for every person, every member of the church, from the back pew to the front pew to the pulpit, to be fully engaged in body life? Uh, where every member is loving and every member is loved. I encourage you to jump on in and again to join us uh, downstairs uh, for the ministry open house. Today we are returning 
to our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's really been a long study interrupted by a number of different circumstances throughout the year, and so we're just trying to chug along and finish it up. We have five more sermons from the book of Matthew, and then after Thanksgiving, we'll begin the Advent season, which then takes us right into Christmas. And so the point in me mentioning all of this here uh, right now is just to tell you folks, it, it's basically Christmas. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it feels like. Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, but it almost feels like that. Uh, the stores will tell you that pretty soon, though, right? Um, we're back in Matthew, and it's a joy to be back in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Let's pray before we jump in. Jesus, we commit this time to you, and we want to say this time belongs to you. At least it belongs to you if we do this rightly to make this time to be all about you. You, our Savior, our King, our King of grace, we want to know you, Jesus. And even as we know you, we want to know ourselves better. So will you shine a spotlight of your Spirit upon your Word, but also upon our hearts, and most of all, upon yourself, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lately, I've been plunged right back into newborn baby mode, as you know. Uh, tomorrow, celebrating the six-week mark for our youngest child, Noel, born not too long ago. And so naturally, I've been thinking a lot about our kids, and not just our kids in general, specifically about how they grow, how they change, how they start off so small and yet so quickly become so big. I've been thinking about, about lately about how little baby Noel, uh, cradled in my arms, uh, will very quickly, sooner than I think, will become a big, grown woman, uh, vibrant, alive, gifted, active, speaking, all these things, and that we have the privilege of seeing all of this, her personality, her life unfold, before us, the little thing becoming a big thing. It's been a joy thinking about even our son, Jeremiah, wondering what he's going to be like as well, now three years old, and even in this uh, particular area of, shall we say, gifting, drumming. Have you seen him? I don't know. I mean, you can't really miss it. Some of you in the back may not be able to get a full view of his wild air drumming. I mean, it's the one reason why he's here. I mean, church, you... God, forget it. It's all about the drumming, right? If you want to know how we motivate him out the door, how we did it about 30 minutes ago, it was, hey, Jeremiah, he was fixated on the iPad. Hey, son, drumming. Oh, here we go. Time to go, right? And just wondering what's going to happen with this interest, this passion. Is it going to die or is it going to come alive? Is it going to make my life crazy? What's this going to look like one day? A little interest in drumming may be becoming a big interest in drumming someday. Sometimes, of course, watching our kids, we get ahead of ourselves. Sometimes we're so used to them growing up so fast, we might scold them as though they were actually bigger than they really are, having to remind ourselves that our daughter is still a kindergartner. Uh, she might talk like a teenager, but no, in fact, she's just 
a kindergartner, getting ahead of ourselves in other ways, like every time we see any one of our kids just barely kicking the soccer ball half decently, thinking immediately, ching, college scholarship, right? We're heading that way. Here we go, right? The ways in which you can get ahead of yourselves, even with the little thing, thinking that they're the big thing, even when they are not yet. Little things, big things. This is what Jesus invites us to ponder and think about as he introduces to us once again, rather reintroduces to us one of the central themes of his teaching. We've heard about it and studied it before, but here it is again in our passage today, the kingdom of God, also called the kingdom of heaven. This phrase we find in the passage in verse 31 and 33 and 44 and 45. What is the kingdom of heaven? As the now Nobel laureate Bob Dylan put it, everything is broken, isn't it? Everything in this world marred and torn and ruptured by the horrors of sin and evil, our relationships, our institution, our personal lives, our bodies wrecked by the decay of the fall. Everything is broken and every part of life seems tainted, if not totally twisted, by the tyranny of sin and evil. And the Bible tells us that that's because it's almost as though we have little Many tyrants, many kings running around trying to rule the world. Kings called death. Kings called sin. Kings called self-centeredness. Kings called disease and decay. Things that are trying to assert their rule and their reign over this world, and sometimes it feels like they're doing a pretty good job, doesn't it? Maybe that's why you're here today, weary bruised and broken by the tyranny of sin and evil in this world. The kingdom of God is God's reign and God's rule in this world. The kingdom of God is when God is breaking back in with his power, with his grace, with his healing initiative. To restore this world, indeed, to restore you and me to all that he always intended us to be. Whole, healed, a reflection of the glory of God. The kingdom of God is the reign of God that interrupts the madness of this broken world. It's not a political power, though it might sound like that, this language of kingdom. Rather, it's a spiritual power that's ushered in through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom of God is anywhere that God is enthroned as king. It might be in a person's life where a person who, through their faith in Jesus is giving up control of their lives to the one King, Jesus. The kingdom of God might show up in a church setting where Jesus is lifted up and worshipped as supreme as King. 
It might be in a neighborhood where Christians begin to live in light of the love and the justice of the king, giving little sprinklings and images of his coming kingdom, yet even here and now. It might be in your workplace through the application of your gifts and your passions. It might be through businesses and stores and institutions throughout the neighborhood that give little glimpses and previews of what this world might look like if God could truly reign as the rightful king over all things. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. This is the promise of Jesus that he brought with him as he preached and as he lived and as he died and as he rose again. And one of his favorite ways of communicating the reality of the kingdom of heaven was through his teaching of parables. Parables, which are simply little stories with spiritual meaning spiritual principles that we can apply to our lives as we learn more and more about the reality of God. Here in today's passage, we have a series of short, four short parables about the kingdom of God and what we learn about it as we will look at it in the coming minutes. We learn about the growth of the kingdom and we learn about the value of the kingdom, the growth of the kingdom, and the value of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, what's it really like? Here's what Jesus tells us. Number one, the growth of the kingdom. Right in my backyard, I don't know if you suffer from this, but there's this enormous plant that's grown, and I don't even know where it came from. I literally mean that. It's this weed that defies all typical pictures you might have of weed because it soars over 10 feet tall high. I think it's called pokeweed. Someone can correct me on this. It's this nasty sucker that, like Jason and Friday the 13th, won't die. I have chopped it down a number of times across several seasons. It will not go away. Its leaves presently are like elephant ears. In fact, they were so big, I noticed the other day that a shriveled up leaf, when stepped on and Jeremiah was sort of playing with it, it kind of smelled like tobacco. Don't get any ideas, though, you know? I don't know, right? This is this large thing. Did I see anyone come in and bring in a tree? Did I see anyone bring in this large contraption to plant this? No. This was a weed that began as a tiny little seed. Jesus draws our attention to seeds when he compares his kingdom to a mustard seed. As Jesus notes in verse 32, in ancient Israel, the mustard seed was known as the smallest of all seeds. But it can actually grow into a fairly large bush, up to 6 to 12 feet tall, as large as a small tree. So large, in fact, that birds can actually come and find shelter and build nests and perch in its branches, as it says in verse 32. Well, that's a quick picture, but what's Jesus getting at? What's his point? Here it is. The kingdom of God, the inbreaking of his healing power, where he transforms things from death to life, whether in your heart or in the world around us, the kingdom of God starts small. Surprisingly small. 
then grows big, surprisingly big. If you looked at its beginning, so small, so unimpressive, so vulnerable, like a, a tiny little mustard seed, you would never predict that it could grow so large, could be so powerful, could be so transformative, could be so impressive. And if you looked at the end result, staring at this large mustard tree, the home of flocks of birds, you would never think that it came from so tiny and unimpressive and forgettable a seed. And how did it get from this to that? Well, it grows and grows, yet gradually, almost secretly, you see. The kingdom of heaven breaks into our broken world, bringing healing. But its growth is gradual. Its growth is hidden. Sometimes it starts off unimpressively, even in a way that you might call ugly, in fits and spurts and starts, in ways that don't seem impressive, in ways that you might even forget or misunderstand, kind of like a cross. The kingdom of God comes with its healing power like a mustard seed. Jesus continues and tells us about the parable of yeast in verse 32 to make a similar point. There he says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see, a little bit of yeast can affect a large amount of flour. In this case, 60 pounds, enough to feed 100 people, a large crowd. The kingdom is like yeast, Jesus says. Even the smallest amount has great transformative power. The kingdom has small beginnings, but it grows and transforms all things. And as I suggested before, why should we be surprised that the king himself would have a kingdom that was patterned after himself, you know? The king who came not in glory, but in forgettability. As a small baby in a backwards colony of Judea, in the grand Roman Empire, in a way that no one would have remembered. Born to a single mom, in a stable, growing up as an impoverished child, a working-class family, a simple carpenter, and eventually a powerful preacher, who came and established his reign not with a crown and a sword, but a cross. Who showed his kingly power by dying for our sins, yours and mine, in our place as our substitute, that we might live our life purchased with his death. Should it be a surprise to us, then, that this king's kingdom... Starts small, slow, unimpressively, forgettably. And so if you could just ponder this together with me and apply this, because I think this is so important in modern life, to understand that this is how God's power works. 
Because this passage teaches us about the way that God's healing power restores all that's been damaged by sin, evil, and death. You know why this is so important? Because we live, don't we, in an instant results world. And we don't typically have patience for the power of God. Will you hear the irony of that? God's power is breaking into our world with healing grace, changing lives, indeed changing this world. And according to our timetable, it just ain't happening fast enough. We live in an instant results world, expecting microwavable spirituality, an overnight world and personal change. It sets up our expectations in such a way that it shapes the way that we relate to God and other people. For example, think about this together with me. Think about something or someone that you have been longing to see change. You know, it might be something in your own life. Maybe there's an area of spiritual struggle, a vice maybe that you've been battling. Maybe it's a bad temper. Maybe you are realizing that you habitually lie, little lies, constantly in order to protect your reputation before the watching world. Maybe there's a way in which you use people, whether professionally or sexually, or you don't actually treat people according to their God-given dignity, but you consume them with instrumentality as though these people around you don't belong to God but belong to you. Maybe you're seeing these things in your life and you're longing to see them change. In other words, you're longing to see the transformative power of God's grace in your life. Or maybe you're longing to see it in another person's life. Uh, maybe someone you're serving. Maybe someone that you're, you're engaging with loving and helping them through their own addictions or struggles or enslavement to sin or self-centeredness. It might be a roommate. It might be a family member. Uh, it might be a person that you are walking with in the neighborhood. Uh, maybe it's someone that you are uh, pouring yourself into and you're just frustrated because it ain't happening fast enough. Maybe you're banging your head against the wall. Maybe you're here today ready to give up, throwing the towel, walk away. I've done enough. Things only remain. Or maybe you're longing to see change in the neighborhood because the neighborhood's been changing, but maybe not in all the ways in which you long to see it change. Maybe it's changing too fast or maybe not justly enough. Maybe you long to see more love and neighborliness. Maybe you want to see more harmony and justice. Maybe you want to see people actually be neighbors rather than walking past each other all the time as they do as we do. Maybe you long for a world that's not so angry, so insulting, so power-hungry, so greedy, so self-inflated, so envious, so insecure, so broken, so fragmented, so clueless as to how to build just basic friendships, let alone peace across nation-states. This broken world that we long to see change. What is it for you? What is on your heart? And here is the important question for us today. How might knowing that God's transforming power typically starts smaller than you think 
begin to change your expectations and your attitude before that challenge. To know that God typically changes and transforms and ushers in his coming kingdom in more unimpressive ways than you might think. Because you're looking for the flash and the glory, and Jesus says, here's a mustard seed. Don't you know how many of us go day to day with a sort of timetable and a metric of transformation looking for the trees when Jesus gives you a seed? How might knowing the pace of God's transforming power typically, I mean, change our attitude towards even ourselves, our own growth, persevering maybe knowing that your growth in Christ is a marathon and not a sprint, or with that other person, neighbor, or friend that you're walking with, with patience knowing that God in Christ has had such patience with you? Or how might this challenge your assumptions about things or people that might outwardly appear to be insignificant or unimpressive, but that God might be using actually to effect change, including suffering? Because sometimes when we're on the journey to change, we always just want to win and have victory after victory after victory. Do you know, friends, the path from here to there is never a straight line. It's up and down and all over, three steps forward, two steps back. Do you know that God's favorite way of seeing you make progress in your spiritual life and the people around you is by redeeming your losses, of bringing you to the end of yourself in order that you might Begin with the new life of Christ within you, which means suffering is one of God's greatest agents of transformation. Could this vision of the kingdom draw you into making small, unimpressive commitments of faith and love? Because now you know even those little things matter, and you never know how they might blossom in another person's life. A little act of love and service, an extra minute of listening on the phone to a weeping friend, a, a moment of touch to a hurting roommate or sibling, a, an, an act of justice or protest that might actually get the attention of a person who might presently be clueless as to the operations of evil in their sphere of life. Whatever it might be, these little things, these seedling types of acts of obedience and love that actually can be the beginnings of the breaking in of God's kingdom, his healing power, his change in your or another person's life. Dear friends, isn't it true that if we understand the way the kingdom of God works like a mustard seed, small in the beginning and big in the end, that we can say that generally speaking, we tend to overestimate what God chooses to do in the short term, and we underestimate what God will do in the long term. We get that turned around, and we tap our feet, and we miss so much of what God, in fact, 
is doing? Will we have patience with the seeds? The little changes, the little ways you might serve. And I want to invite you again to engage this ministry fair downstairs and more importantly, to actually step into new fresh ways of serving the body of Christ during this season. Because you never know how your serving on a ministry team might actually become a large bush that becomes shelter for the birds, as it were. You know, adjusting a knob for the sound team. Or cutting the bread for the Lord's Supper communion. Teaching a lesson in a children's class. These things that might seem insignificant. But don't you know, you're sowing seeds that are going to become a tree. Or to understand that this is the way that God works in the world around us. That we don't need to fear when the witness or the impact of Christians in the public square or in public life might seem diminished. Or when the Christian faith might begin to become more marginalized than it's been in generations past. Because Jesus says, even if at different points it might appear to be a seed, it will one day in glory, guaranteed, be a tree. That in fact the seeds of the kingdom are choked out by prosperity and comfort and power. Dear Christians, dear church, don't you know the seeds of the kingdom grow best in the soil of suffering? So we don't need to be afraid and start grasping at different levers of power, feeling like we're on a sinking ship. Dear friends, Jesus' kingdom will prevail, and the gates of Hades will not triumph against it. We're going to be okay, because the king is on his throne. Do you have hope for the trees knowing that even if you're weary through this stage of life that might be a seed-like phase, that you know that you can testify according to God's word that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're, you're sifting through seeds, I know. But don't you know the life of Christ one day in you is going to be a tree? And even in this world, this bruised and broken world, hard to get up in the morning sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it? Don't you know this promise? We wade through this present life of seeds. And yet we have this promise that one day, someday, the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the healing of God, the grace of God, the glory of God will fill all things. As Isaiah 11 promises us that one day when the king returns, the whole earth, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you see the tree? That's the growth of the kingdom. I want to close quickly with the value of the kingdom. What Jesus touches on in 
these latter two parables here. In ancient times, there were no banks or safe deposit boxes, and so people buried their treasures for safekeeping. So what we find in verse 44 is a little parable where a man stumbles upon a treasure buried in a field. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. According to ancient property laws, if you owned a piece of land, you also owned anything else that was found in that land. This man saw the great value of the treasure, the treasure of great price. Do you see the supreme value of the kingdom of God? Do you see the precious blood of Jesus spilled for you and me? Do you see what was purchased for you on the cross and in Christ's resurrection, your salvation from the judgment of God for all of your sins, and yet your salvation towards and into the arms of God, this God who promises now to be your Father, loving you and protecting you, bringing you into his family, esteeming you with his glory as you bear the name of the King. His name is Jesus, dear Christian. Have you sensed the supreme value of the kingdom? And have you then responded, giving up everything you have to get it? As we see in this little parable, this man finds this treasure, then in his joy goes and sells all that he had buying that field. You see the same thing in the next parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And so here's the question. Have you seen, encountered, experienced, and believed in the kingdom of God? It's unmatched value. It's preciousness. It's eternal value. Have you encountered the worth of Christ in such a way, dear friends, that you have loosened your grip on all things? That you are willing to surrender your entire lives for him because you know the story of the kingdom is one where the king gave up everything to have you so that it's nothing but pure joy. Did you notice? to respond in like kind. Not an obligation, not a debt of guilt, but a debt of love, a debt of gratitude, a response of joy to say, if this king has so given himself to me, how can I withhold anything from him? To him all I surrender trusting in him, turning over the control of every sphere of life to him. Your relationships and your life and your loves. Because this, dear friends, is the gospel. 
Because once where sin reigned in your life, now grace reigns. Where sin was your slave master controlling your desires and indeed your destiny, grace now brings you to a Lord and Savior who not only forgives, but gives you life, who doesn't diminish, but who exalts you. Where once something or someone else was king in your life, it defined you, it gave you meaning, it ruled over you, it controlled you, it punished you. Now you've been set free with Jesus as king. Now you're not just a citizen of the kingdom, but the king brings you into his royal family, makes you his child, gives you a royal inheritance, says that everything that he has is yours calls you into his mission to extend his kingdom, to draw more people into his kingdom, to make more of this world reflect the values of his kingdom. This is the good news of the kingdom. This is the good news of the king. To know that God calls you to see the pricelessness of his kingdom and to give all things for his sake because the story of the gospel is a story of the God who saw you and measured your pricelessness a God who saw you in all your sin and brokenness and failure and by grace calls you his treasure As we're told in Deuteronomy 26, the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession. In Lamentations 4, that calls you the precious children of Zion worth their weight in gold. Do you know that there's a God who sees you in all your screwed upness and all your running away from Godness? And even where you are godless, evaluates you and sees you as being of great value, such great value, in fact, that he gave up everything he had, even his very own son, in order to purchase you, not with gold or silver or money, but with the precious blood of Christ, that you might be a part of this kingdom, that you might have this kingdom, that you might receive this transformative power, that you might be healed and become an agent of healing, that you might see and be a part of the movement of God's power from this little thing to this big thing, from a mustard seed to a mustard tree. Do you want to be a part of that? God is inviting you into that. Do you see that? Do you see his kingdom? Do you see the king? This is your invitation. This is the life of the kingdom, the patience and the perseverance, and most of all, the joy of being one who's been changed by the king. Let's now pray in his name. Jesus, we're asking that you would come, that you would touch on different areas of our life, where we need to know this, where you would give us grace, 
to persevere, to have patience, to have hope, to see your changing power, to let you change us, including our ability to surrender all things to you, to give our lives over to you, because you've given everything to us. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you for the good news of the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.